Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Here's the podcast for The Jeremiah Johnston Show. And don't forget, you can also listen live across the Faith Radio Network Saturdays at 11 a.m. Central or 12 Eastern for the entire hour. And if you want your question read on the live show, go ahead and send it to me at www.askjjj.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show, combining cutting-edge biblical scholarship with meaningful, thought-provoking discussions and practical answers to your questions. It's time to own your faith and be a Christian thinker with our host, author, Bible scholar, apologist, and president of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jeremiah, and I am thrilled about what is in store for us today on the Jeremiah Johnston Show. And again, if this is your first time joining us, I want to remind you, this is the show that encourages questions. It encourages inquiry. The great thing about our Christian faith, friends, is that it is indeed so well evidenced. And friends, I want to remind you, yes, we know the realities. A battle is raging for the hearts and the minds of people all around us. But make no mistake, if you are a follower of Jesus, the scales of truth tip in our favor. And I want you to hear something that I pray encourages you today. There is more evidence available today to prove the claims of Christianity than at any other time in history. I mean, we are truly living in the golden age of the Christian faith. There is more evidence that undergirds the truth claims that we hear from Scripture available to us than at any other time. And so this is a really exciting broadcast. Let me share what we have in store for you, and let me encourage you again to participate with us. Don't forget you can text your questions. This is an interactive discussion, not a monologue. How can you do that? Go to askjjj.com. That's www.askjjj.com. Submit your questions. Submit your comments on the show. And while you're doing that, go ahead and subscribe to our Jeremiah Johnston Show podcast. And thank you to all those of you who are living, leaving such great reviews. This is the show that's all about equipping you really in two areas, to commend the first things of the faith within the church, but also to educate you how to offer those cogent what does that mean persuasive reasons for the hope that is within us to those outside of the church and we do this because in the scriptures in 1 peter 3:15 it says always always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you and friends that's not a bible verse for just delta force christians black ops christians it is for every single one of us and so I want to encourage you, take notes. We've got a great program. Next up, don't change that dial because my good friend, apologist, Dr. Sean McDowell, is going to be joining me for a conversation. It's going to be a great hour together. Stay with us. Friends, welcome back to the program. I've been counting down the days for today's broadcast with our special guest who is joining us uh, via phone from Southern California, my good friend and someone I'm sure you're familiar with. Uh, if you've read anything at all in the world of Christian apologetics, Dr. Sean McDowell joins us today for the program. Sean, thank you so much for joining us. Dr. J, man, thanks for having me on. <laughs> hey, I want to give you an introduction because we have... Uh, thousands of people listening right now, both live and through the podcast and across the Faith Radio Network and all the stations, uh, who may not uh, be aware of what even apologetics is. And so, friends, I want to encourage you to get to know Sean McDowell. 
he is an incredible defender of the faith, and he is a great, great man of God, a great communicator, uh, and he's someone who God has set apart as a seasoned uh, choice servant in this whole world of Christian apologetics. He's written some great stuff both in the popular and in the scholarly world, and we're going to talk about that as well through this broadcast. You can read more about his background over at his website, and I want to encourage you to connect with him on social media over at Sean McDowell. Dot O-R-G. Sean, I want to dig right in for, with the first question, and I ask this of all of our guests on our program, uh, and I'm just fascinated thus far by the answers that I'm receiving. Uh, but will you, are you willing to tell us what is the most difficult, unanswered question you personally have struggled through? Perhaps you've answered it already in your Christian journey, but what's the one question uh, that's bothered you or has bothered you in the past in your own faith journey? Well, I think the oldest question people have asked and the question they will always ask in some fashion or another is tied to the problem of evil. I really think that's the biggest barrier that non-believers have to face. And frankly, Christians, we look out and we just think, gosh, why does God allow this person to suffer? Why does God allow this person to hurt? Why wouldn't he stop this? And we don't always know the answer. We know God is good. We know God is in control. We know sin has ravished the world, and much of the evil is a result of our choices. But I think as we look out in the world, it's just natural to try to understand why it's so broken. And I think what makes this question hard is it's not something you can just answer purely intellectually, although I think Mm. Christianity offers the best problem. Mm. I'm sorry, the best answer to the problem of evil of any worldview But it's something people feel experientially and emotionally and personally, and it's hard to separate those in our minds sometimes. So I think the problem of evil is at the heart of the issue, and I think it frankly always will be. Do you think part of the problem with this question, and thank you so much, Dr. McDowell, for your transparency to share that with our audience. Do you think part of the issue is we ask a lot of questions, and that's good. I say often it is not a sin to question your faith. In fact, uh, this program is a safe place where we leave no question unturned or unanswered, or at least we attempt to answer it. But do you think part of the problem is we live in this society now that prefers sound bites above substance, Dr. McDowell? I think that could be a piece of it. I mean, there's not always simple, easy, quick answers for these difficult (laughs) questions. We have to look at our terms. We have to read. We have to think. We have to try certain lines of thinking and realize, you know what, that's not as effective as I thought, and then come back. So some people, like somebody I work with at Biola, has thought about the problem of evil for decades. Mm -hmm. And if we want a quick soundbite and that's what we expect, we're just going to be disappointed. What is what is your answer um, for the person? We have a lot of moms that listen to this broadcast, Sean, and um, perhaps just life has not been fair to them. We had a recent broadcast recently that, again, the same kind of answer. Why do some some people have so much to bear? My um, guest said, "How can you encourage someone today with application?" And this is what I love so much about your ministry, Sean, and why I think it is so effective. You know, it's not all cerebral with you. You have this amazing ability to communicate truth, but then to actually make it applicable to people's lives. And I think so many uh, fall short when it comes to that. What can you say to a mom who's struggling today or somebody who is feels like they're living their own personal hell or problem of evil right now? How can you encourage them? Well, when somebody asks me a question, they say, why does God allow this or that? The only way we would know is if God actually tells us. 
and he doesn't always tell us why some people suffer more than others. Uh, we don't know, but as we look at the scriptures, what do we know? We know that God uses people in different ways. And we see people like Job suffering immensely. We see people like Joseph suffering immensely. We see the apostles, which I've studied in depth, uh, mm. suffering immensely. First Peter 3 says, you know, expect to suffer for doing what is right. So that doesn't make the pain go away, but I think when we realize when we suffer, God hasn't abandoned us, he hasn't yes. left us alone, and he promises in this life in the next to transform all our sufferings for good. And I think it's really that belief with a loving community around us that can feel the pain with us, pray for us, hug us, listen to us, sometimes just be present not try to give simple answers. Yeah. But when we really believe God is good, he's conquered death on the cross, and that God has a reason for this, it helps us transcend the suffering that we're going through, and I think give us the strength, even when we don't have the answers that we necessarily would want. Friends, if you're just joining us, my guest is Dr. Sean McDowell, apologist extraordinaire, and by the way, a great basketball player, I might add. I'd love to play you one-on-one -on -one sometime, Sean, here in H-Town. Uh, you can follow him at Sean underscore McDowell on Twitter. Sean, thank you so much for discussing this. We have a texted question from Cindy. Are you okay if I throw some, some fastballs at you from some of those that are listening right now? Yeah, of course. Friends, and you Go can text your question to askjjj.com or 877-933-2484. This is Cindy, uh, Dr. McDowell. She writes, I accepted Jesus into my heart in February of 2018. Praise God, Cindy. We're excited for you. Everything was going well, but I find myself continuing to fall into the pattern of sin. I think about the script, what the scripture says, that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But I question myself, did I give Jesus my whole heart or just part of it? Could you please tell me your thoughts? What's your answer, Dr. McDowell, for Cindy? Cindy, thank you for your email it's, it's, or your text. It's very natural for all of us as Christians to look at our lives and feel like we fall short and sometimes even to despair because we fall short so much. The thing that I want to impress upon you is that when you became a Christian, Jesus died on the cross for all your brokenness, all your shame, all your hurt, and he looks at you as completely a pure, holy person because of what Jesus has done for you. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love and acceptance. He says you are beautiful, I love you, and I forgive you. And I think part of this journey, I would encourage you to go to a pastor, encourage you to go to a trusted friend, and just share some of the hurts that maybe you're still holding on to, and through prayer and through the love of other believers, come to really know that God loves you and forgives you, and that you can't be perfect on your own merit. Paul says, when I am weak, I am strong. It's when we admit our weaknesses and we come broken before the Lord, that he will begin to raise us up. That's my prayer for you. Thank you so much for that answer, Sean. I have another texted question. Uh, this is coming from Sue. Uh, and I want you all to know that Sean does something that is so effective. And I want to introduce you to a really neat thing that he does. And I hope in our next segment, after on the other side of this break, uh, we can talk about it. But Sean does role playing so well uh, about how to have conversations. I mean, so often we as believers, we know enough to be dangerous, don't we, Sean? We don't really know how to use engagement principles and actually have a faith conversation. And, and you do that with all ages, I know, but especially with youth. And I want to, we only have about two minutes till our first break. Um, 
This is a question from Sue, Sean. Is it a sin to want to go out and have fun, dancing with friends? We do not drink, smoke, or do drugs, but there still seems to be a negative stigma on having fun, listening to rock music, and dancing. What's your What's your answer for Sue? Uh, she says she's a high schooler. My answer is if you're in high school, number one, your most important thing is to honor and respect your parents. And if they have rules and guidelines on you regarded to this, if you don't think it's fair, if you don't think it's just, part of growing up, as hard as it is, to respect your parents and believe that maybe they have reasons that you don't understand. Now, on top of that, of course it's not wrong to have fun. I like to dance. I like to play basketball. God now, has Wait a minute. Are you a good dancer, Sean? Do we need a dance-off? No. I'm horrible. <laughs> I'll take you at hoops, but you could take me at dancing, I'm sure. Excuse me. Keep going. <laughs> no. Just a part of the Christian life is having pleasure in God, pleasure in the world, pleasure in relationships. So dancing's not wrong. But we have to always ask, what is my motivation, what is my heart, and why am I doing this? And how does this appear to other believers in terms of what I'm doing? So that's maybe a few things to give you a little bit of perspective. But absolutely God wants you to have fun, but have fun through obedience and listening and being the kind of person that God wants you to be. You're listening to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Don't change that dial. I'm going to be talking to Sean McDowell 90 seconds about the fate of the apostles. He's done his technical work on this from an academic standpoint and also written popularly on it. And then we're going to discuss role-playing, how we can be effective witnesses for Jesus Christ no matter where we are or who we're talking about. Don't change that dial. You're listening to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. And welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. This is Jeremiah, and I'm so excited about our guest today. Dr. Sean McDowell is joining us for the program. And, Sean, I want to get right into this wonderful way in which I have seen you uh, educate believers with how to have faith discussions in an effective way, and you do role-playing. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and why it's effective? Sure. This is one of my favorite things to do at churches, conferences, camps. I'll put on kind of role-playing glasses and step into the character of an atheist, and I tell a story, which is a friend of mine who's an atheist, maybe four or five minutes to set up the character, and then I take live questions from the audience. We have a roaming mic, and I've done this with youth groups, 12 students, and actually in the Philippines with 8,000 people in a stadium wow. and everywhere in between, and I just respond as an atheist would, and about 15, 20 minutes into it, people start getting a little bit frustrated because I use fancy words. I know my stuff. I shift the argument. I raise points they haven't heard. And people get a little testy, and they get upset and sometimes a little defensive and hostile. And then I step out of character, and before I answer the questions, I simply say, how did you treat me? And Jeremiah, it's crazy. I can look on people's eyes, and it's like there's this sense of, oh, shoot. Mm. <laughs> I was really a jerk to you. Mm -hmm. And I just pause, and I say, why don't we treat people with kindness? Why are we afraid of conversations? Why don't we listen better? How can we have productive conversations? And it just reveals that we have a lot of faulty assumptions about atheists and other groups, and we're not really confident in our ability to engage them. So that's the point of the role play. People walk away going, wow, I can get better at this and do it if I just learn a few helpful principles. That is fabulous, and I, I want to I drill down a little bit deeper 
when we have faith discussions with people who don't know Jesus, what are some of the uh, if you will, guardrails that we need to be that we need to put up. I mean, it, what are some areas that we need to know? Okay, can I do this? Do I have enough confidence to do this? But when I actually do engage in the in in a faith dialogue, Sean, what have you seen? What are the best practices for us? Well, one thing is just to listen because whenever I do this role play, people will raise their hands and say, "Well, why do you believe this? Why do you do that?" And I'll say. I never actually said I believe that. You're assuming because I'm an atheist that I believe this, but I haven't even said it. Why don't you ask me what I believe first? And I found that you know the same, this goes for all kinds of worldviews. We have assumptions. We have stereotypes, and yet anybody can listen and say, oh, you, you describe yourself as an atheist. What does that mean? What does it mean to be an atheist? When did you become an atheist? How do you live out this belief system? How have people treated you? since you became an atheist. So one is just to listen, and two is just to ask questions, genuine, interesting questions, not to catch somebody off guard, not to be passive-aggressive. But I think most people are willing to have spiritual conversations in the right time and in the right way if we treat them the way they want to treat us. So number one, just ask questions, and number two, just genuinely listen. That's so good. And uh, if you want more information about this, check out ChristianThinkers.com, our website. I've written about six engagement principles, and one of those is exactly what Dr. McDowell just advised us. And I say, shut up and listen. It's great advice uh, to not to not run our mouth, but just simply to listen to people. And Dr. McDowell, have you noticed that when people know we're actually genuinely listening to them, it's amazing what they'll say to us? Oh, I think that's correct. I think we have an attention starved uh, culture where people are staring at phones all the time. I think people are anxious and depressed and lonely as a whole. And when somebody leans in and says, I really care about you, I'm interested in what you say, tell me about yourself. Tell what you believe. Just to understand and have a fruitful spiritual conversation, I think it's amazing what people are willing to talk about. I think, in fact, a lot of people are hungry for those kind of conversations, but they don't feel the permission, and they frankly mm. just don't know how to carry them out. Very good. We, I've got a question I want to ask you, but before we do that, I have a texted question here from Josh and friends. You can participate with this program at any time. If you're listening to the podcast, uh, we, we love that. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for all those great reviews. Just simply go over to askjjj.com, and those questions come straight to my desk. We have a question here, Sean, from Josh. And he writes, let me see if I can summarize this. He says, my wife and I are Christians but have a couple of women friends who are gay, and they have invited us to their wedding. We want to love them and not turn away their friendship, but we fear that going would actually show support for the relationship and paint, paint the wrong view of our Christian view. How should we approach this situation? I know you've done a lot of work on this issue, and you've recently done some excellent uh, dialogues on the West Coast and Portland on it as well and other places. Uh, what, what is your answer for Josh, uh, Dr. McDowell? I think there's some issues that are out of bounds clearly, such scripturally out of bounds, marrying somebody of the same sex. But going to a wedding I think is a little bit more gray in the sense of I think we have the freedom – to operate according to our consciences, thinking through before the Lord, what is the loving thing to do? Now, I had a couple, interestingly enough, I was on a panel, and there was a guy and a, a girl who were married, and they had each been in gay relationships before. 
And the woman shared how when she was in a wedding with another girl, it was actually her mom went and sat in the front and cried the whole time. She knew exactly where her mom stood. But being there meant the world to her, kept the relationship going. Eventually, she left that relationship, and uh, eventually she left the relationship and restored it really with her mom. On the flip side, I have a friend who said his parents did not go, and they stood in loving opposition to his behavior and his choice. And he said, over time, that is what drew me Mm -hmm. out, that my parents, I knew they loved me, but they didn't go. They wouldn't condone my relationship. So I don't know that I'm making this easier on you, but I'm trying to say I would be in serious prayer. I would think through and really check your consciences. And if you feel like going to a wedding, I mean, for me, I don't think I could go because a wedding is a public celebration of a certain kind of relationship. And if I went, I would feel like I'd be disingenuous to people who are there, disingenuous to the host, and I couldn't do it on my conscience. So if that's what their conscience is telling them, I would encourage them to follow their conscience. But just make sure you pray about it. Keep asking for wisdom. Give it a little time and make sure you're genuinely acting out of love. Thank you so much. And again, friends, if you're just joining us on the Faith Radio Network, this is the Jeremiah Johnston Show, and I'm so excited. We're having a wonderful dialogue right now with Dr. Sean McDowell. You can follow him on Twitter at Sean underscore McDowell or check out more information on his website, SeanMcDowell.org. Sean, I'm fascinated by your work from a scholarship standpoint, on the disciples. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've shied away in the past from discussing the disciples because I thought the evidence that we had was shoddy. We really don't know what happened to them. Uh, it's been embellished. Um, can you educate all of us for the moment on your work in the fate of the disciples? Is there, are there reliable uh, evidential threads for us to know what actually happened to them? Sure. One of the common arguments for the resurrection is that the apostles would not die as martyrs uh, for something they knew was false. Therefore, people say the resurrection is true. And it sounds compelling, but it's not quite that simple. Uh, For one, I studied all 12 apostles with Matthias instead of Judas and then James and uh, Paul. And I think we know at best four of them with high confidence and two of them maybe slightly more than you know being plausible what happened to him. That means there's at least eight that we don't really know what happened to him. So I think it's overstating things to say when all the apostles died as martyrs. But I don't think we need to prove that. What we know from looking at the beginning of Acts and church history is that the apostles believed that they'd seen the risen Jesus. That was the heart of their faith, and they were willing to suffer and die for that belief. There's no evidence any of them recanted. And we know some died as martyrs. To me, this shows the depth of their sincerity that they believed it. It doesn't show Christianity is true, but it shows they weren't lying. They weren't making up a story to get themselves in direct trouble. And some of them martyred that we know, like Peter and Paul and I think both James. So I think you should use the argument, but we have to qualify it carefully in terms of the evidence we give and what it actually proves. It's one piece of a larger resurrection argument. This says the apostles didn't invent this story. They really believed it was true and were willing to put themselves in harm's way because of the depths of the conviction of that belief. And what what are the evidences for those that we know? And obviously, friends, I mean, I want you all to know um, this is one of the reasons that I date Acts early. Uh, we know from Josephus that James, the Lord's brother, dies 
uh, Josephus tells us, actually is a martyr believing that his brother is the Son of God, which is just fascinating to think about. It's one of the reasons that I believe James uh, is written earlier, because that kind of event, I believe, again, this is my opinion, uh, definitely would have been mentioned in the book of Acts. What are some of the other disciples where we have a fair level of, uh, we, it's, we have a probability that we have the right evidence to be able to make a claim that they died uh, a martyrdom? Well, we have ten sources for Peter in the first two centuries alone. Uh, two from the first century, one from a letter called First Clement, chapter 5, and second, actually, the Gospel of John in chapter 20, where the writer says to Peter, your hands will be tied, you'll be taken where you do not want to go, and this indicates how he would die. So we have two first century sources for Peter. No other contradictory claims. I think it's early, it's consistent, and I think it's compelling that Peter died as a martyr. For Paul, we have eight sources, one in the first century, a second kind of helpful one in the first century, and then six more in the second century. Again, consistent, early, and reliable. James, the brother of John, we have in Acts chapter 12, verse 2, where it describes that Herod took him and killed him with a sword. So there's biblical evidence for that. And then there's evidence outside of the scriptures that support it as well. The fourth one I would say that you mentioned is James, the brother of Jesus, from Josephus. And then also from early Christian sources and Gnostic sources all concur that he died early as a public proclaimer of the faith. So I think those four are on solid ground. I think Andrew and Thomas, now we're getting into the maybe mid to the late second to the early third century. So the evidence is a little less and it's later. It's still very plausible, but it's just not as strong as for the four we mentioned. I think the rest of the apostles, the evidence is contradictory. It's legend-filled, it's late, and it's hard to know when history ends and legend begins. That's this is so great. Uh, we, we've got to go to a break. Uh, this is fa- fascinating, and uh, Dr. McDowell has actually written an entire book on it. I, I would love to park here and discuss more just uh, with my own personal interest in 2nd, 3rd century Christianity uh, and just keep talking. But we must go to a break. Uh, don't change the dial. You're listening to The Jeremiah Johnson Show. On the other side of this break, uh, Sean and I are going to do our own little bit of role-playing as it relates to the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, you're not going to want to miss this next segment. Thanks for joining us. Friends, welcome back to the program. I'm talking to Dr. Sean McDowell. Uh, Sean, I just love um, how you have done excellent work with role-playing, and we discussed that in the last segment. If you're just joining us right now, you're going to listen to that on the podcast. And I do want to encourage all of you, if you're not catching us live, to definitely subscribe to the podcast, The Jeremiah Johnson Show, and go ahead and give us a review. Uh, We so appreciate you considering that. Uh, Sean, let's say that you and I are at one of these wonderful train stations uh, in Europe. Uh, Let's pick one. Let's say uh, we're at the Berlin train station getting ready to get on the ICE train, and you and I are hanging out, maybe checking out Reformation sites, and you and I are believers, uh, and we're never going to talk to these folks again uh, that we're discussing. They're getting on another train in five minutes. What do you think? Let's bat the ball back and forth together. What are some of the strongest evidences for the historical reliability of the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus? Um, What are some of the immediate go-tos, if we only have just a few seconds to discuss uh, with this couple that we're talking to? Well, assuming this couple is interested in hearing and wants to know the evidence, I, I would probably point towards a few things. I would say, have you looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15? This is a letter all scholars agree 
that Paul wrote within about 25 years of the death of Jesus, probably in the mid-50s. And Paul starts off chapter 15, and he recites a creed where he says Jesus was died, he was buried, rose the third day, and appeared to people. Now, this creed, he says to the Corinthians, I'm passing on to you something that was delivered to me. So this creed that Paul writes predates the letter itself. Now, the question is, when did he get it? Well, Paul visited the apostles within about three years and then again 14 years later. The bottom line is you have this letter written from 25 years of the death of Jesus where people are still around who knew Jesus. He appeals to an even earlier creed, and at the heart of it, he says Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. I'd probably look at them and say, do you realize how unprecedented and early this belief is in the resurrection? If it wasn't true, what on earth do you think explains for the explosion of the church at this time? That's one approach I might take if they were open to the evidence. Let's keep batting the ball back and forth. This is fun. I think what I would add to that, and, and friends, I have a lot of interest in this subject. I wrote a Ph.D. thesis on this, and actually my area of specialty, Sean, is second century gospel text. So my primary text was the Gospel of Peter, uh, which is fascinating because it doesn't say anything about the historical church. It doesn't, or excuse me, about the historical Jesus, but it does give us a real window into second and third century Christianity. Uh, and it's interesting when we look at the resurrection account in the Gospel of Peter. Friends, this is a gospel that is an extra-canonical gospel. This is a, a work that is written, we think, in the late second century. Uh, and it's interesting because it seems to fill in a lot of the gaps and details, the supposed gaps of details that we find in the canonical gospels. It actually made me think about it, Sean, because... Uh, the Gospel of Peter is really what the Gospel writers should have done better, <laughs> how they should have written better, uh, if they were making up a story, a fanciful account of the resurrection of Jesus rather than a factual one. In fact, uh, the, the unsophisticated author of the Gospel of Peter has Jewish high priests sleeping in cemeteries awaiting the resurrected Messiah. We have a Roman emperor who proclaims Jesus uh, as the resurrected Lord. And so we're hearing from all of these objectors and these enemies of the Christian movement, both Jewish high priests and Roman leaders, that Jesus was, in fact, the resurrected leader. What's interesting when we study the gospel accounts of the resurrection is we have sober, more reserved narrative. But what they give us is what actually happened. I think that this is fascinating. Uh, and, Sean, what, what's, another, what's another resurrection evidence that you can give to us if we're just, we have just a few seconds talking to these people? Well, I think it's worth asking, if they were inventing these stories, what would these stories look like? And they'd look like the Gospel of, Gospel of Peter with this huge cross that comes out of the tomb, a talking cross, I believe it is, <laughs> totally just exaggerated accounts. Well, why wouldn't they invent the story of James, the brother of Jesus, who became the leader in the early church, racing the tomb to see Jesus? Why don't they include that? The only appearance of James is in 1 Corinthians 15. If you actually read the resurrection accounts, they're very sober. They're straightforward, and there's not as much legendary material as we think, it's not written in the way of somebody who would have invented this. And by the way, they don't even include prophecies in it. Why don't you think they cite Daniel 12 too and say, look, this mm. fulfills a prophecy? They don't. It's a very restrained account that has the rings of historicity. So I would just invite them. I'd say, have you read the resurrection accounts? Have you read the Gospel of John? Christianity has changed the world more than any religion. Have you ever considered the four biographies that are written about this person, Jesus?
That's where this, I would probably take it. This is powerful, friends. You're, joy- you're listening to Sean and I just bat the ball back and forth through a little role-playing of our own as both as believers, as guys that take the resurrection of Jesus seriously. Uh, I was asked in my Ph.D. defense, actually, Sean, you may not know this, uh, I was examined by a man uh, who I'm still ministering to. Uh, he was actually one of uh, one of uh, 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 Barclay's personal disciples, uh, the Bible backgrounds guy. Uh, and he actually looked at me to begin my defense, and he said, "Now I just want to ask you something." And he was speaking in Latin and English. It was kind of a it was a nerve wracking experience. He said, "Do you actually believe that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened?" But then he began nodding at me. He said, or is that just imaginative storytelling? <laughs> First question wow. in my three years studying uh, in England, all that was hammered in, on, into me was it doesn't matter what you believe. We don't care what you believe. Just bring out the argument. And I looked at the professor. I said his name, and I said the evidence leads me to conclude without a doubt Jesus physically, bodily resurrected from the dead. He looked at me then, had a big British bow tie on. He said, I don't see things that way. And that is how my defense began of my Ph.D. Wow. Uh, he later passed me oh by commendation. Good. Good for you. Uh, it was fascinating, though, for on a variety of levels. The only reason I bring that up is you're listening right now, friends, to, to guys that take this seriously. From an academic standpoint, there's so much more we could discuss in archaeology. But I do want to leave you with this. This is some work that I've been doing recently, and Sean, I actually just wrote an article for Macmillan Interdisciplinary Textbooks on Philosophy of Religion on the case for the resurrection, and this is something that I think is totally underdeveloped, friends, those of you that are listening to us right now about the resurrection of Jesus. There is no psychological reason in Judaism to make up a resurrection narrative. I want to make sure you let that sink in for a moment. Judaism, at the time of the historical Jesus, is a coherent religion. If Jesus was a respected rabbi, certainly he could have even been respected to say, yes, we believe he'll, he'll be raised up in the general resurrection. They did not have to invent a resurrection narrative. There is no psychological motivation. What, how can we say this? Well, as Dr. McDowell has been alluding to, we have excellent extra-biblical sources. But when we, th- when we read the Bible, as N.T. Wright says, with first-century eyes rather than 21st-century eyes, we'd because of our historical Western distance, sometimes we are not reading it in the same interpretive tradition that the early followers of Jesus would. And so I think about, you know, one of the reasons, Sean, that I think Judas just didn't get it was he did not expect Jesus to actually die on a Roman cross. And we see that related from many of the Dead Sea Scrolls, like 4Q285, that actually said the coming Messiah would kill the Roman emperor, not die on a cross. Nobody would understand that. They just didn't get it. And friends, that's why the words of institution were so important. And so I think that this is something that uh, you're going to hear a lot more about is this whole psychological reason. There really is no psychological motivation for the resurrection of Jesus in Judaism because it's a coherent religion. Uh, Friends, our guest today has been Sean McDowell. And Sean, I have one final question that's actually been texted in. If, you, if we can just leave you for 60 more seconds, we don't have much time until our final break. And friends, I want to encourage you uh, to connect with Sean online. Please connect with him as well uh, on his social media. This actually was just texted in from David, Sean. He says, what evidence is there that the word and gospel is genuine uh, in that I should believe the gospel for my life. We only have about 30 seconds for you to answer this, but what would you say to David who's just texted in? 
Well, I would say as we look at the New Testament, as we do any other ancient book, the number of manuscripts, how early the manuscripts are, the archaeological support, the inner claims of like embarrassing material, it has all the rings of reliable eyewitness testimony. And a part of that is the gospel. So if you're going to look at history consistently, you have to take seriously the words of Jesus. Thank you so much, Dr. McDowell. And friends, I want to encourage you to buy all of his books. You can check that out on Amazon.com. He's probably speaking at a church near you. And please pray for this man. Pray for his family. Uh, It's a great sacrifice to leave your family to be a defender of the faith. Sean, you're on the front lines. We're rooting for you. We're praying for you. Will you please, please make a commitment to come back to our radio program? (laughs) You got it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Sean. And friends, uh, don't change that dial. I'll be back with some concluding thoughts on the other side of this break. And welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. I'm your host, Jeremiah. And in this segment, we do a power teaching segment. So I want to give you some power tips based on questions that you have asked me. Uh, What are the best evidences for the Christian faith? What are specifically the best engagement tools so we can talk to friends and family members who don't believe? Well, I want to pivot off of an email that just came through from Gary, and he writes, and this came at askjjj.com. Don't forget you can submit your questions to us for the show at askjjj.com, or you can call in your questions at 877-933-2484. Gary writes, how can I share the gospel with my ex-girlfriend? We are in very different places, and she wants to move on, but I still do not want to abandon her faith and have her go down a bad bad path. Well, Gary, that is absolutely a great question to ask. What I want to encourage you to do is to focus on the resurrection of Jesus in your evangelism, in your personal witnessing. Now, I do want to say this to every single believer who's out there listening to me. We have to earn the right to be heard in a faith discussion The last thing that I want to do, the last thing that you should want to do is bulldoze someone with a bunch of truth and facts and claims without building a relationship or earning the right to have that faith discussion. And so I discuss this in my unanswered book, Bible study and video series, because it is something I am so passionate about. I want to equip you to have comfortable faith discussions. We talk a lot about being great listenists on this program. We have to be such great listeners because when we listen to where someone is truly at, what's the question behind the question? What are the true objections that, that this person is having that is hindering them from expressing some kind of faith in Jesus Christ? When we're silent, when we don't talk, when we can listen, it allows us to earn the right to be heard. And I want to remind you of this. The more you know about the Christian faith, the more comfortable you are in any faith dialogue setting. You're not going to be nervous because you're prepared, you're equipped, and you are primed and ready. The Holy Spirit is ready to speak through you. But, Gary, what I would encourage you and to everyone who's listening to this broadcast across Faith Radio Network right now, focus on the resurrection of Jesus. This is the cornerstone of our faith. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. If there is no resurrection, it's game over. We're all just kind of playing at things of faith. In fact, if there is no resurrection, Paul writes, we are of of, of anyone out there the most to be pitied. People should actually feel sorry for us. And what I love about Paul's claim is he is saying the greatest fact 
of the Christian faith is based in history. It is based in evidence. And so I want to actually continue on the discussion that Sean and I were just having before the last break. And I want to share with you what are the seven power tips of why I believe that Jesus physically, bodily rose from the grave. Let's think in our mind's eye. You know, we're, on, we're in an airplane seat. We're at a train station. We're having a conversation with someone. We don't have much time. And I just want to have the facts. Well, number one, why do I believe in the body of proof? That is the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. Make no mistake, and I hope this encourages you today. The resurrection of Jesus is the only way we ultimately make sense of the suffering in our lives. Don't forget this. The resurrection of Jesus is not some cerebral uh, intellectual conversation. It is that, but it's so much more than that. The resurrection of Jesus is what Paul wrote, for I consider that the sufferings of this present day are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Only because of the resurrection could Paul get past the suffering and the anguish he would face at different times of his life and ministry. And so I have so much more I could add to that, but we need to move on to number two. Why do I believe in the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus? He foretold it. I say this often. If the church, if the early church, if the church of the New Testament had a Hashtag. It would be hashtag on the third day. Hashtag on the third day. If you don't know what a hashtag it is, check out with a millennial you know. Hosea 6.2 said, and it's an interesting Old Testament passage that Jesus actually uses and messianizes. It actually means he takes the Old Testament as only he can do. He applies it to himself. He did this in Luke uh, chapter 4 when he quotes Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 in his home synagogue. He does this often in his teaching. But Hosea 6.2 says, after two days, he will revive us on the third day. Did you hear that? On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. And it's important, Bible student, for you to write down the passion prediction scriptures. Did Jesus predict his imminent death and resurrection? You better believe he did. Are you ready for the passages? Mark 8.31, Mark 9.31, Mark 10.33 and 34. That's Mark 8.31, Mark 9.31, Mark 10.33 and 34. In each of those three passages in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus makes it clear on the third day, he would be resurrected. In fact, we hear this in the memory of the early church in 1 Corinthians 15:4 that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. And so without a doubt, number two, Jesus foretold it. Number three, he demonstrated resurrection power. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus raised Jairus's daughter from the dead. In Luke chapter 7, 11 to 17, the widow of Nain's son is resurrected. And of course, uh, what we've all heard before, if you've studied the Gospels, John 11, how could we forget it? I find it interesting. Jesus wept when he heard that Lazarus, his good friend, had died. But Jesus knew he was going to raise him from the dead. But it didn't mean that death didn't hurt. That separation was not what was originally intended for us, the crown of God's creation. So Jesus demonstrated resurrection power. He got this. And number four, Jesus' bodily resurrection, I already said this in the previous segment, I won't belabor it, but I've written about this extensively. It is not what his Jewish disciples anticipated. Number five, make no mistake, the sources written in archaeological overwhelmingly, friends, support the resurrection narratives embedded in the Gospels. There is no passage of scripture taken more seriously than what we've been discussing in this program today, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 7. No passage taken more seriously by Bible scholars than that passage. 
Number six, I want to share this with you. It's the only convincing explanation for the conversion of those who did not follow Jesus during his ministry. I mean, think about it. What would it take for you to believe your brother was the son of God and die knowing that? Well, that's what we've been discussing. James did not believe his brother was the son of God until when? After the resurrection. And then finally, friends, why do I believe in the physical bodily of resurrection? The final power tip, it is the only convincing explanation for the historical fact that everywhere the Christian faith goes and is embraced, culture is dramatically changed and made better. Truly, the resurrection was a game changer, and I pray it's a game changer in your life. We'll be back with some concluding moments. Don't change that dial. Friends, welcome back to the show. This is Jeremiah, and I just want to tell you what a great discussion we've had today. Thank you so much for all of your participation. Those of you that email your questions in, askjjj.com. And don't forget, I know we have a large uh, listening audience that don't actually hear us live across the Faith Radio Network, but listen to later online, on demand, or on one of the podcasts. So I want to encourage those of you who are listening in that way definitely engage with the program. Don't forget that you can join our mailing list. I, I write my own emails, folks. I go, They come straight from my hand to your inbox. And so join my email list at christianthinkers.com. I want to prepare you. I want to help you respond to some of the great discoveries that are happening right now that we've been discussing in the Christian faith. I also want to encourage you, tell your friends about our broadcast. I'm enjoying so much all of the response that we've received from the program. Thank you for your affirming comments. I'm delighted that God is using this broadcast to help you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's the only reason I'm doing it. I'm here for you. I'm here to minister to you. And I'm also so grateful for our dear friends here at Faith Radio Network who make the program possible. Keep them in your prayers as well. I'm so excited about everyone listening at all of the different radio stations across the country as part of Faith Radio Network. Please pray for me, pray for my family, pray for Christian Thinker Society, and pray for this great partnership that we have with Faith Radio Network. It really is a blessing to have this opportunity to minister to you. Hey, one final question. We have time for it. Actually comes to me from David. What are some good resources and people to look into to learn more about the Christian faith? Well, that's a great question, David. I could do an entire broadcast on it. Go ahead and email me, David, back, and I will actually send you. I actually give recommended resources for every single book of the New Testament of what you should have in your library. But what I would say right offhand is get yourself first a great Bible that you read from beginning to end. Definitely get a good translation of the Bible that you're comfortable with, that you can memorize in. But secondly, get yourself a great book about uh, the historicity of Jesus Christ, the historical Jesus, and the facts around it. I always assign to my students and recommend to people who hear me, Bob Stein's Jesus the Messiah. It is a great book. But I also encourage you, get yourself a great New Testament survey that you can have open right when you're reading the Bible that will give great facts about the background and help you become a better Bible interpreter. Well, I hope that helps you, David. If you want to see all the resources that I recommend, don't be afraid to email me. I'd be very happy to share that with you. And friends, don't forget, this is the program that encourages you to question your faith, encourages you to dig deep in your faith. It's not a sin to to question your faith, but it's a sin to stay there. Don't let that quicksand drag you down any further. There are answers to your questions. And thank God they are found in the word of God. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Jeremiah Johnston show. I will see you next time. 
Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Thanks for listening to the podcast from The Jeremiah Johnston Show. I definitely want to hear from you, so if you have a follow-up question from today's program, you can submit it to me at www.askjjj.com. You'll also see how you can connect with us from there across social media. And don't forget, these conversations are available because of listener support. And you can make a gift right now to the Faith Radio Network at www.myfaithradio.com. And to avoid missing future editions of the Jeremiah Johnston Show, please subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. You can do a Google Play RSS feed. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of the program.